Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Hey, before we get started today, I really feel like it's important that we pause and spend a moment corporately to pray for Israel and what's happening around the world today. So will you bow your heads with me as we get started here? Lord, we just want to acknowledge this morning that that our hearts are heavy right now. That as you say, we, we, we weep with those who weep, we grieve with those who are grieving. And God, right now we just want to pray for all the men, women, children who have lost loved ones that you would comfort them in in a way that only you can. And Lord, times like this remind us that we live in a broken, fallen, dark, sinful world. Evil is prevalent, the the devil is real, and the truth is we're not even battling against just flesh and blood. We're in the midst of a cosmic battle with spiritual forces beyond our comprehension. And we also know, Lord, that, that Israel is still your chosen people despite the unbelief that is prevalent in that nation. And we acknowledge that you have a plan for Israel, and ultimately, you will protect them. You will defeat those who come against them. But I pray that this might be a step toward the nation of Israel embracing you, Jesus, as their Messiah, that they might turn back to you. And Lord, we know from your word that you've instructed us specifically to pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And while there will always be wars and rumors of wars here on earth, we know that your perfect will is that there might be peace, that peace and love and goodness would win the day. And so right now we pray for that, that you would bring peace to this conflict. We pray for your protection, even supernatural protection, for those who are fighting for the good, that they might defeat the ones committing these evil atrocities and end this conflict. And God, please, please, please protect the innocent in this war. And there are innocent men, women, and children on all sides of this conflict. We pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them, Lord. And God, we would even ask that you would free those who are being held hostage and protect them from any further violence or abuse. And we pray against those who stand behind terrorist groups like Hamas here in our country and across the globe that you would thwart their purposes, God. May they not succeed in stirring up further conflict and evil in our world. And ultimately, God, we pray that you would bring justice to this situation and help our anger over these injustices not to get the better of us. Instead, as you say in your word, lead us to love, even pray for our enemies. In fact, right now, I pray for those who are inciting this violence that your Holy Spirit would convict them Lead them to repentance, that they might be awakened to the truth that there is a God in heaven who created them and and loves them, but who is also a God of justice and righteousness, who does not leave the guilty unpunished. And God, I pray that you would use this situation to lead many in Israel and throughout the world who don't know you to believe in your son Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. And finally, Lord, as you accomplish your sovereign purposes in this world, 
remind us that our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our military. Our hope is in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. And please uh, continue to pray on a daily basis. Can we commit to that here in this room just to pray continually for this whole conflict there that God would bring peace and resolution. So we're in this series, Shifting Gears here. It's called God's Masterpiece. And this series, it's built off of Ephesians 2.10, which says, for we, talking about us as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, for we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this question, what are the good works that God has called us as Christians to do? And today, we're going to look at a calling that God has for all Christians. It's the call to lead a life of extreme generosity. Okay, Jesus himself said this. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's been proposed, and it's tough to argue with this one, that the defining value for Christians is love that expresses itself in giving. Love that expresses itself in giving. John 3.16, the most well-known passage in the Bible says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The very nature of God is love expressing itself in giving. Now, there are so many passages in the New Testament that confirm that this is a big part of our calling, but let me just toss out a few as we get started here. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul instructs Timothy to tell his people who have resources, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Now, I want you to notice here that this is not just about money, okay? Our generosity includes our treasures, but it goes beyond that to our good deeds. Over in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul brags about the Macedonian churches, and he says this. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Extravagant, sacrificial generosity. That may well be the defining value for Christians. And it's certainly a part of our calling, the good deeds that God has for us. So there's a story that occurred in the life of Jesus that is so significant. It could be called the story heard around the world. It's the only story where Jesus himself specifically says, wherever in the world that the gospel message gets preached, this story ought to be told side by side with it. Do you know the story? It's actually found in three of the four gospels. It's told by Matthew. It's told by John. But today, we're going to look specifically mostly at the account in the book of Mark. And over in Mark 14.3, we read this. It says, while he, speaking of Jesus, while he was in Bethany. Okay, you need to know when is this taking place? This is actually six days before Jesus' crucifixion. So it's a very intense time. Jesus is winding down his earthly ministry. He is heading to the cross. And it says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made out of pure nard. 
She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So let's review the situation here. Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper, a man who had obviously been healed of leprosy. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anybody hanging out in his home. Okay, That would be very unwise. Actually, in that day, a leper wouldn't even be allowed to live in the city if he still had the disease. But this woman, she appears, and she anoints Jesus with this extremely expensive perfume. Now, it wasn't uncommon in those days, if you had a special guest to anoint them with perfume. I mean, after all, let's face it, even today, personal hygiene in the rest of the world is not what it is in America And personal hygiene 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, when people travel from place to place by foot, without axe, without Old Spice, okay? People had to get used to the natural smell of the human body. And so as a sign of honor, when a rabbi would come into your home, it wasn't uncommon if you were wealthy enough to take out a vial of perfume and put a drop or two on their head. And what that communicates is you deserve to smell better than all of us because you are important. But that's not exactly what's happening here, right? Because what Mary does, she takes a whole bottle of perfume and pours it over Jesus. You say, well, Brian, how do you know that this woman was Mary? Well, John tells the same story, and he gives us a little more information. In John chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So they're at the home of Simon the leper. And Martha, she's doing her thing, right? She's the cook. She's serving the meal. And Mary is doing her thing. She's the worshiper. She takes out this perfume. And and the account in John says she puts it on his feet. But Mark points out that she covers his whole body with the perfume. Not just the customary drop or two. I mean, Jesus was doused in this stuff. He's smelling pretty sweet after this. Now, in this story, we have three different reactions from three different groups of people in the room. And I want you to see their different reactions here. The first person who jumps out in this text is Mary. And Mary was an extravagant giver. So in this story, we see three biblical characteristics of an extravagant gift. And I want you to write these down. The first characteristic of an extravagant gift is that it is beautiful in its expression. It's beautiful in its expression. In Mark 14, 6, Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, the word beautiful here, it's an interesting word. There's a Greek word, agathos, 
which speaks of doing that which is right or, or morally good. And there is a certain amount of beauty in doing the right thing. But there is another word in Greek, kalos, which goes beyond just doing the right thing to doing something extravagant, something above and beyond, something extraordinarily beautiful. And that is the Greek word that's used here. You know, if you scan throughout history time and time again, when people have enormous love and devotion for somebody, they have chosen extravagant ways to express it. For instance, in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar II, we see that one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, were actually constructed for his wife, Amiatus. I mean, he builds these elaborate overhanging gardens, all to recreate for his wife the terrain of her homeland in Persia a beautifully extravagant way to show his devotion. Fast forward to India in the 1600s when Shah Jihan, the emperor of India, constructed the crown palace or the Taj Mahal as an expression of his devotion to his wife. As she lied dying, he promised her two things. One, never to father another child. And two, to erect a monument that would match her beauty. And so he constructs this grandiose complex, right? All to express to the world his love and devotion for her. I mean, it's incredible. 22 years of labor, people, involving over 20,000 workers and master craftsmen, all to build a monument of his undying love for her. And then there's the story of a pastor in Georgetown, Texas, who surprised his wife on her 45th birthday, okay, with a miniature horse. There, we have a picture of this. That's right. <laughs> yep. And then he eventually moves her to this little ranch home in the country, and they live happily ever after. Okay. <laughs> Not quite as dramatic or flashy, but hey, it hits close to home. Okay. Yeah, you know, the bottom line is this. Love causes the lover to give in extravagant ways. And so as we pray about God's calling in our life to be extravagant in our gift giving, Mary's example should inform us that we should give to God a beautiful gift, not a dutiful gift, a gift given out of love, not out of compulsion. Okay, the second characteristic of an extravagant gift is that it's reckless in its value. I mean, notice what she gives here. Verse three, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made out of pure nard. Just so you know, this perfume was imported from India. It's a fragrance made from the roots of a plant found in the Himalayan mountains, extremely expensive. They complain because it could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And just so you know, for the average person back then, that would be almost impossible to save up. It would take a lifetime or more to do that. So Mary, she's been holding on to this treasured perfume. And you may recall that somebody very important in her family had died recently, her brother Lazarus. And the primary use for this type of perfume was to embalm a body. But despite her great love for her brother, Lazarus, this was too expensive of a gift to use to embalm his body. It's possible that this has been passed down to her from her mother, her grandmother, her great-grandmother. Any way you look at it, it was a crazy expensive gift. And the way she gave it, just pouring it all out, blew their minds. I mean, they were incredulous that she would do this. They considered it reckless giving. Let me ask you, are you ever reckless in your giving? You know, about the only thing that causes people to be reckless in their gift giving is love. 
I know for Wendy and I, the times when we've been a little reckless in our family budget is when we were giving gifts, like birthday time, Christmas time, often throws our budget off. Why? Because we're most apt to be radical in our gift giving when it comes to those we love. So Mary brings what she has and she gives it to Jesus. And you may be out here right now thinking, well, I'd love to give an extravagant gift like that, but I don't have anything like what Mary had to give. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. She did what she could. She did what she could. I take from that that this was the only thing of value that Mary had. It was very precious to her, but she was willing to give it. Hear me on this. It's not the gift that matters. It's the sacrifice that touches the Lord's heart. Okay, the third characteristic, write this down, of an extravagant gift is that it's perfect in its timing. I mean, notice what Jesus says about the timing of this gift in verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. You know, I got to thinking about this at a deeper level. It seems to me that Mary was the only one who was paying attention to what Jesus had been saying. I mean, Jesus had been telling them over and over again, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross. Nobody seemed to be getting it until Mary walks in the room and actually anoints Jesus' body with a perfume that would normally be used to embalm a body. And she pours it all over him, covers him head to toe, as if preparing him for burial. Her timing was absolutely perfect. You know, there are a lot of opportunities to give gifts in life, but some gifts are given in such a strategic way that the timing adds value to the gift. Timing is everything. And I believe God presents each and every one of us with little windows of opportunity throughout our lifetime to give radically, to make a huge splash. Like in the, in the past, a number of families here at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, did just that. And that's why we are here in this facility. That's why we're able to reach every man, woman, and child with the good news of the grace of Jesus. And as we continue to grow, we never want to close our doors to new people. So we may be challenging you in the future to make a splash so we can reach more and more people with the good news of Jesus. Okay, now the second group of people who are here in this room, in this passage, are the disciples. And I would say the disciples are kind of the practical killjoys here, all right? Look at verse four. Verse four, it says, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Okay, Matthew doesn't pull any punches. Matthew 26 clearly tells us that some of those present were the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus. I mean, the ones who ought to understand the value of worship are the ones who are the problem here. And and notice they don't have a problem with Mary keeping the perfume. She wants to do that, fine. But if she's just gonna pour it off, she's just gonna give it all to Jesus, they can think of a lot better things to do with it. Now, it's interesting to me how often people are willing to make suggestions about what other people ought to do with their money, right? It's not their money. It's not their perfume. And Mary wants to give it to Jesus. But they say in verse 5, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. The Greek word harshly here, embromeomai. You know what it literally means? It literally means they snorted at her. How's that for a word picture? Kind of interesting in light of the context here. I mean, this whole room is filled with this sweet fragrance, 
right? But rather than smelling, rather than sucking in the beautiful fragrance of that worship experience, they're snorting out, they're rebuking her. They're saying, hey, let's get practical here. And you know what? I think if we're honest, if you and I had been there in that room, in the back of our minds, we may have been thinking, that's overkill. I mean, that's 60 G's worth of perfume for crying out loud. When you become extravagant with your giving, expect the critics to be there, snorting at you, accusing you of waste, offering other ways for you to use your money. Now, here's what Jesus said. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. See, Jesus is saying the opportunities to help the poor They're always going to be there. But this is a one-time shot Mary had to express her generosity in an extravagant way. Now, let me tell you, the poor is not really the issue here. There's actually a lot more going on behind the scenes. Look at John 12, 4 to 6. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I mean, let's be honest here. This was not about the poor. This was about maybe poor Judas or the poor disciples because they all benefited from that money bag, particularly Judas. Not only did he feed the guys out of that money, but every once in a while he would dip his hand in there and take a little out for himself. And let me just say this by way of personal application. When it comes to our money bags in life and the resources God has given us, I think we should always remember Psalm 24.1. says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So if you truly believe that Jesus owns it all, then your money bag is his money bag too. So if he's calling you to give extravagantly, the only person you're accountable to is him. Now, does that mean that God doesn't want us to spend money on ourselves? Absolutely not. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things, food, clothes, etc., all these things will be given to you as well. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, God blesses us with financial resources as a means to have our needs and even some of our wants met. But there comes a point in time when we can go too far. We can go beyond just providing for our needs and and take some of the resources that God intends for the good works he's prepared for us, for his kingdom, and, and we spend that on ourselves. And here's what convicts me to the core in this passage. It's the fact that these are the disciples, right? The disciples, Oftentimes, the people who consider themselves the closest to Jesus, the the more spiritually mature, can be the ones who are the least extravagant when it comes to giving. Because of her extreme love for Jesus, Mary does something radical here. And everybody in that room should have been able to understand it, but they didn't. Which brings us to the last person in this room, Jesus, the ultimate extravagant giver. And let's just review the setting here in this room. As we look around this room, there are at least 15 guys that are in this room. You've got Simon the leper, you've got Lazarus, you've got Jesus, and you've got the 12 disciples. And you've got a couple women, at least two, Mary and Martha. 
Now, as you look around that room, what do you see? Do you see what I see? Like, I see a man who is recently isolated from humanity, dying a slow death to leprosy until Jesus healed him. Now, I also see a man who spent four days dead in the earth, but because Jesus uttered the words, Lazarus, come forth, he's sitting there at that table. I mean, I think you get the point. As you look around that room of all the people in the world, you would think that everybody in there would be going, yeah, Mary, go, 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 go. And they're all sitting there in the presence of the greatest gift giver ever, Jesus, the one who would give his life for the world. I mean, these people should have seen the gift-giving spirit in Jesus and said, Mary, whatever you do is great by me because we can never do enough. We can never give enough. We could never love enough. Like there is nothing too impractical when it comes to worshiping God with our gifts. But these followers of Jesus, they they just don't get it. Like oftentimes we don't get it. So you know what Jesus does in response to all this? In verse nine, he says, I tell you the truth. That's Jesus's way of saying, hey, listen up guys. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Jesus says, like the Taj Mahal, this extraordinarily beautiful act of giving, it's going to stand out. It's going to be seen. It's going to be heard all around the world. Can you imagine their shock at that statement? Like, why, Jesus? Why this story? Well, here's the point. The gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that we've been forgiven of all of our sins, and given the gift of eternal life, that should so radically deepen our love for God that we are overcome with gratitude and a desire to give, give, give. I mean, Jesus says extravagant giving should not be unusual when the gospel is there. Extravagant giving should not be an unusual response to the gospel. He expects that in all parts of the world, wherever the gospel message is preached, people will react like Mary. Because the more you become like Jesus, the more you become a lover who loves others in extravagant ways. And when you truly grasp the extravagant gift of forgiveness that was granted you in Christ, it should alter your life. I mean, there ought to be times when people look at you like the disciples looked at Mary, and they shake their heads and say, I just don't understand how you could give a gift like that. And you can look at them and say, that's not what I don't understand. What I don't understand is how a perfect, holy God would freely give forgiveness and eternal life to a sinner like me. That's what I don't understand. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that like Mary, we would be reminded of the incredible grace and love that you have given to us. And I just confess to you that after years and years and years of walking in that truth, living that truth, preaching that truth, there are times when I just take it for granted. And my heart is not overflowing with the same joy and gratitude and love as Mary's. But God, we know that the gospel is the most important message in the entire universe. And the fact that this story is the only one you instructed to be told alongside of it, that speaks volumes, volumes.
to us about how important this is to your heart and how important a part of our calling this should be. So my prayer is simply this, Lord, that we would find ways through the power of your Holy Spirit to emulate the joyful, sacrificial, generous heart of Mary. And God, it's, it's not the gift that matters. It's the attitude of our hearts. Remind us of that. So it can be a small thing, but that's a big thing in your eyes. So God, give us opportunities to just emulate the very person of Jesus who so loved that he gave. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, continue to pray for Israel and the conflict. And if you have prayer needs, or maybe you have a question about what it is to have a relationship with Jesus, we've got some volunteers up front that would love to pray for you. Otherwise, you guys go and have a fantastic week in the Lord.